Welcome to our One Question for God series. We all have questions for God, from the atheist who doesn't even think God exists, right through to the mature Christian who's been walking with God for decades. That's why every year we survey our family and friends, our neighborhood and networks, to find and respond to the four most popular, most relevant questions our community has for God. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we do claim that the most satisfying answers to life's biggest questions are found in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy this answer in our One Question for God series. Hi Church, I'm Kay McCauley. I go to the 10 o'clock service at St Augustine's. And today our Bible reading is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 to 15. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. And would you please read along with me? A time for everything. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do God good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 2020. What the heck, God? I recently had my annual performance review, a chance for my, myself and my boss to sit down and review how the past year has gone, how I'm going fulfilling the duties of my role and, and the goals that we set for, for me. And so I thought it would be helpful to start today's talk by just 
reviewing the last nine months with God in a little bit of a performance review. So God, thank you for coming in today. Uh, 2020 was a bit of a milestone year for many of us. Uh, you know, many of us set goals, 2020 visions. Uh, it's been a little bit difficult to fulfill those given your mismanagement of the last nine months. But one very, very pressing and timely issue that we did speak about this time last year uh, was that issue of global warming and, uh, and the environmental crises. So um, I'm interested to know how you thought the January bushfires fit into that plan. Well, look, most of your basic responsibilities, I guess they're not changing from year to year, God, but uh, it's hard to see how in your work of protecting the people of this world, an unprecedented global pandemic uh, fits in to those plans. Promoting world peace, that's another one that we keep on the agenda every year. Uh, and uh, would you be ex- able to explain the Black Lives Matter rally? Well, look, I, I know that uh, these are sort of more global issues. We've also got the, the individual matters of caring for individuals and answering people's prayers. Uh, a little bit confused why you answered people's prayers for the uh, rugby league season to get started, but didn't answer prayers for a, a dying uncle to be saved. Look, as we come to God in a time such as this, it can be easy to point the finger, can't it? It can be easy to sit in judgment over God. But God doesn't let us or invite us to do that. In fact, the God of the Bible always reminds us that he is the creator and we are creatures in his world. 2020 has been a very difficult year for us all. By the looks of things, even God seems to be having trouble managing all the changes and challenges of this year. Every year in our One Question for God series, people ask the question about God and suffering. Uh, They come to us thick and fast because it's an age-old human experience that we all have. Everyone who has ever lived will experience suffering in their lives. But it seems like 2020, more people are suffering more than ever before. When we ask the question, where is God in our suffering, we normally ask it in a sort of 2020 January bushfires kind of sense. That is, the suffering affects us. It tugs at our heart. It perhaps demands our prayers, maybe even requires our financial investment. But it is at a distance down the south coast. We just sort of deal with the smoke as it comes up to Sydney. But 2020 has been a universal sweeping effect of suffering touching the lives of each and every one of us. March 2020 and coronavirus swept across all our lives. Every day we're met by new challenges, new restrictions, freedoms that we never thought would be taken away from us, disappeared overnight. There was fear, there was uncertainty everywhere we turned. And I know that we're a bit tired of the word unprecedented, but it really was unprecedented times. I didn't believe it until I was in a staff meeting with a member of staff who's 70, and she said to our team, I've never lived through anything like this in my life. They really were unique times in our lives and in human history. Everyone had some sort of trauma and grief, and we found ourselves asking the question, what the heck, God? So the first thing to say in response to our question is that it's okay to ask God why. In the Yorston household, you're not allowed to say what the heck, because when dad prepares dinner and plonks it down in front of the kids, they got in a pattern of saying, Ugh, what the heck is this? 
You can't say what the heck in my household, but you can say what the heck to God. And in fact, the Bible is full of people asking God the tough questions, lamenting, pouring out confusion, frustration, even anger towards God about the circumstances of our lives that we find ourselves in. One of those people was a man named Job. Job's life was going swimmingly. He had everything you could ever want, everything you could ever dream of, until everything went 20-21 one day and he lost all his possessions and all his, all his family members in one sweeping list of tragedies that swept across his family. The Bible then devotes 40 chapters to the grief, agony and pain that this man felt as he sought to process what he'd been through with God. But all the while, it never excused God of being in control. It never suggested that God was anywhere but in the good and the bad. It never suggested God was out of the picture. It's okay to ask God why, but there's a fine line between asking God why and demanding an account from God and his management for the world. Like we did in our little performance review before, sometimes we get things wrong and we sit over God demanding a response from him. Well, the Bible calls us to a Copernican shift in our thinking. Do you know who Copernicus was? He was the man who discovered that the sun is not revolving around the earth to serve the earth, but rather the earth and the solar system all revolves around the sun and exists through its light. The Bible asks us to do the same with God. We do not, he does not exist to serve us. We exist as creatures in his world and we exist through him and for him. The Bible always maintains a very clear creature-creator distinction between us and God. And whilst God welcomes our questioning of him, he reminds us to remember who he is as creator and we as creatures in his world. The second thing to say in response to our question is that it's important to live in God's world as it comes to us. Haven't the events of 2020 been just such a humbling reminder of how truly out of control we really are? The illusion of control was completely burst as things we never thought could change, changed in an instant. Well, this brings us to the book of Ecclesiastes, which we just had read, a 3,000-year-old book of wisdom, wisdom that speaks not about how the world should be, but how the world really is and how we can live wisely and well within it. It equips us to live well in the world as it comes. The poem that we had read to us, uh, which you might have recognised as the lyrics to the 1960s song, Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds, well, God came up with it first. But these lyrics, they beautifully and poetically paint a picture of the round and round, seemingly chaotic and cyclical nature of life as we know it. There is a time and a season, it says, for every activity under the sun. You know, one minute we're there holding a newborn baby, the next minute we're tragically burying our parents. In the the garden, to, to grow our summer basil in the herb garden, we need to pull out the winter parsley that's taken over that herb garden. You know, our governments, they spend millions and billions of dollars on defense weapons that can kill people. 
and then billions and millions of dollars on infrastructure that can save people's lives. On weekends, you might find yourself you know, smashing apart an old cabinet one weekend and then sitting on the floor with an Allen key, piecing together IKEA furniture the next. Life goes round and round and round. Sometimes we weep, sometimes we laugh. That might have been your experience throughout coronavirus. Life goes round and round and good and difficult seasons come and go. And we're not meant to control the times and seasons of our lives. No, God does that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14 says this, When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. So what does it mean for God to be in control? Is the sovereign God, the God who controls all things, is, is he like a, an overlording communist uh, ruling party that watches every move and surveillance uh, surveil, uh, carries out surveillance on all your actions, kind of like a divine policeman. If that's what God looks, is like, then it makes it intensely painful when events happen in your life where you suffer deep injustices or moral evil and the God who could do something stands back and does nothing about it. Or it's a sovereign God like a marionette puppeteer you know those puppets where nothing moves unless the puppeteer moves his fingers on the strings. Well, if that's what God is like, then it makes no sense when Christians thank God for the birth of a newborn baby, but say nothing when your 27-year-old friend dies of brain cancer. I like to think of God's sovereignty like a good and loving father managing his household. He is the life giver. He is the life sustainer. That is, no one would be there in the first place without him. He gives life, and moment by moment, he sustains that life. Bread on the table, keeping the, keeping the, the life of the family going. Sometimes he allows fights to break out in the living room. Sometimes that's because of our own poor choices. Sometimes that's because of someone else's poor choice on our behalf. At other times, just... Things get out of control and no one really understands why. Well, sometimes he does this to teach us. Sometimes he does this to grow us. And sometimes we just have no idea what God is doing. But it's dad's business and it's not for us to know. Well, the one thing that he assures us, though, is that nothing happens in the house without him permitting it. Nothing at all. Here it might be helpful just to have a quick word about the revealed and secret will of God. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 is a helpful truth here for us. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. These verses suggest that there is a secret will as well as a revealed will of God. The revealed will of God is very clear. In the New Testament letter of Ephesians, God reveals that his purposes and plans is to bring everything in the world and the universe around the centre of his creation. And at the very centre, the heart of everything God loves and is doing is his son, Jesus Christ. That is God's will. Peter, Jesus' best friend, also tells us that God's desire is that everyone would repent and no one would perish and all would come and believe in Jesus, God's Son. So that's the revealed will of God that we know.
But then there is the secret will of God that we don't necessarily know how he's going to bring these things about. We don't know how he's going to use a bushfire, a global pandemic and an ensuing economic downturn to bring about all of those purposes. We just don't know the secret will of God. But it does take us back to Ecclesiastes and gets us asking the question, if we know generally what God wants everyone to, uh, to do, to repent and turn their lives around towards him, having faith in Jesus, but we have no idea how God will use the events of this life to do that, how should we live wisely in his world? Well, verse 11 of Ecclesiastes is the key to this. Verse 11 says this, Ecclesiastes 3, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of humans, yet no one can fathom what he has done from beginning to end. Since we don't control our times, God does. Since the God who controls our times is a good God, therefore there's beauty to be discovered in the different times and seasons of our lives, even the most difficult ones. You've heard it, haven't you, as you've spoken to people about how they've handled this last year of 2020. Everyone has said in some way or another, there is some good to come out of it. I've discovered that I didn't need to be as busy. Uh, There's been a silver lining for me. All these kind of comments come through. I've been able to spend more time with the people that I love the most. Rather than fight against these times, God exhorts us, the one who gives the seasons to us, to embrace them and to live well within them. I personally learnt this lesson as I was rushing my way through the early stages of the COVID lockdown. As a Christian minister, I found myself exempt from some of the lockdown restrictions as long as I was carrying out my ministry. So I busily rushed around carrying out my ministry uh, to all of you beautiful people who were actually doing pretty well without me, but I felt that I had to keep moving, keep rushing, until I found myself on the doorstep of a newly single mother of four children, homeschooling her children and trying to run her own business. And as I got there, I asked how are you going? Waiting for the tears to come flooding down. And she smiled at me and said, I'm actually loving it. I've really, you know, found that uh, it's been great just not doing as much. I've loved not getting in the car. I've loved not having to rush around and do so many things. And the kids and I are playing some board games. And here I was thinking that there was so much that needed to be rushed around in, fighting against the times. And here was someone not even yet a Christian person who had found that they could rest within the times. And so God, the giver of all times, the controller of the seasons of our lives, he exhorts us not to rush, but to rest in him. Not to worry, but to worship him. Jesus said to us, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because I am gentle and humble in heart and I will give you rest for your souls. So God wants us to rest in him, rest in the time and worship him in the seasons as we go through them. Now what's the difference between living in the moment, which everyone's trying to do at the moment, 
and those who worship God and, and the Christian worldview of living in the moment, well, as the Christian lives in the moment, they know the God who's given them that moment. As the Christian lives in the moment, they know that the God who controls the future. The Christian lives in each moment. They know that they live towards something even better. God has set eternity in the hearts of people. When we find that the moments we live in are difficult and still filled with tension, it's a reminder that we've been made for a better place. We look forward to our eternal home with God. So God is in control. We can live our lives in his world as it comes to us. And for many of us, 2020 has been an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to become a better version of ourselves. But uh, for others, 2020 has just been catastrophic. I remember a quote on the door of my daughter's preschool in mid-March. The quote said, We are all in the same storm, but we are not all in the same boat. We are all in the same storm, but for some it's only raining. However, for others, it's a hurricane. Maybe for you, 2020 has just been like a hurricane. And there seems to be no possible way of finding beauty in the moment. And it's so hard to do that when we are in the midst of the moment. Well, I want you to know that if you've been through a hurricane, our third and final point is that God really cares. God cares and he's present in the pain. Cast your mind back to that story that was read to us before about Jesus and his friends in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. An ordinary trip across the sea turned into a potentially life-threatening disaster. And within this story, this encounter, there are three important questions that we want to ask of ourselves. The first question was a question the disciples asked of Jesus. They woke him up and said, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? Of course he cares. His care was demonstrated by his presence. And this has been the testimony of generations of people of faith, thousands of years of people testifying that in the pain, God has been present. In our hour of need, when we reach out to us, God will care for us and God will deliver us. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. God's care is shown by his presence in our pain. But there are certainly times when it doesn't feel like he's with us, when it feels like he's asleep in the bow on a cushion, when he's oblivious to our pain, when he just isn't present when we need him most. So Jesus got up and demonstrated his care and his control. He stood up, rebuked the wind and the waves and said, quiet, be still. Then everything died down and it was completely calm. This left the disciples trembling with fear, no longer from the storm, but from the presence of the man that they stood in. And they asked that question, who is this man? Now, it's certainly true that the events that took place that day don't normally take place in the ordinary course of our lives, but neither does God choose to step in to human history in every generation of our lives. So in this moment, when God came into the world in the person of Jesus, he revealed his power and his presence in the midst of our pain. We return to the, here we return to the, the secret and revealed will of God. We, we don't know the times 
why God doesn't answer the prayers of pleading that we come to him for. But we do know what God wants. He wants everyone to come to know him, to repent and believe in Jesus, the way that he has revealed himself to the world. And so the revealed will of God is that we would all come to know who this man is, this man who has the power to calm the storms of life, to be present with us in our pain, who himself went into a storm of pain and suffering when he faced the greatest suffering the world has ever known in facing the judgment of God on a Roman cross. Jesus himself tasted our pain so that he could put an end to the sin that had caused the brokenness of our world, the the breakdown of our relationship with God and all the subsequent results from that. Jesus went to his suffering death on the cross so that he could reconcile us to God. Jesus rose from the dead so that we could have hope, not just that we can be forgiven, but certain hope of the eternity that the author of Ecclesiastes told us about. That eternity is set in our hearts and you can know it's real because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and stands and lives forever with God. The first fruits of new life to come. So Jesus came to show us this revealed will of God that we can know God through him. Who is this man? This man, Jesus, is the way to come to God. And so it leaves us with that third and final question that was asked by Jesus to his disciples in the boat. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? 2020 has revealed that putting our faith in our health, in this beautiful country that we live in, in our finances, our future plans, in the progress of humanity is very shaky ground. Rather, God himself invites us to put our faith in Jesus, the one who cares, who comforts, who is in control and who has peace for us in the sufferings and trials of this world. So 2020, what the heck, God? It's okay to ask God why. It's important to live in the times as God, the God who controls this world, delivers them to us seeking to find beauty in them, but looking beyond them to the eternity that God set in our hearts. And it's important that we keep our eyes on Jesus, the one who has been present in our pain, who offers us peace and perspective in our trials and offers us a way to know that we can come to God and be safe with him. Will you trust the rest of your 2020 to God in Jesus Christ? Betsy Rogers, our Director of Wellbeing and Care, and also herself, a licensed mental health clinician, is going to finish our talk today, our response, by sharing for us five ways that God equips us to cope in difficult times. And then she's going to lead us in a time of prayer. Now, for those of you in a difficult and hard season, I want to encourage you today that God has created you to be resilient that he has equipped you to be someone who can go through these tough and hard seasons. Now, if you are someone who is experiencing clinical depression or anxiety or a significant mental health issue, I'm not talking to you. That requires a different type of care. But if you're someone today who has found yourself in a hard place, I just want to offer you five practical things that you can do to cope. 
Now, the first one is just to acknowledge that you're in a hard place. Sometimes the first thing that you need to do is just to admit that life isn't going okay. And that might sound easy or obvious, but in our 21st century life, filled with busyness and distraction, it is much easier to avoid our hurt and pain than it is to actually face it. So that leads me to number two, which is just to feel your feels. Once you've acknowledged that you're not okay, you need to kind of face those emotions. We often want to ignore what's actually going on, and we can turn to anything around us to distract us. We mindlessly scroll our phone, we binge watch television, or maybe we just busy around from errand to errand to errand and work and work and work just so we don't have to stop and think and feel about what's actually going on. But once you acknowledge that you're not okay and you kind of stop, stop ignoring that, you have to feel those emotions. We think by ignoring them, they'll go away. But the truth is, the only way to get past an emotion is to feel your way through it. And so once you've acknowledged that you're in a difficult place, then you have to actually stop and feel. And once you're still, you might realize that you're angry about what's going on or disappointed. You might need to go punch a punching bag or go on a long run. Or you might realize that you're really sad and need to go stop and cry. And that that's okay. And that you have to take a moment and feel those emotions. Now, one reason that people are hesitant to feel that emotion is that they think if they stop and feel something, then they're going to feel that way forever. They're going to be consumed by that emotion. If I stop and cry, I'm never going to stop. And that leads me to point three, is that the reminder that this won't last forever. That we use the language of a season for a reason. We use this because a season is temporary. It's not a permanent state. This isn't to dismiss the pain that you're going through or to diminish how hard this time is. A hard season is a hard season. But by recognizing that you're not going to feel this way forever, you can practice resilience. When I recognize that this isn't going to last forever, then I can hold on to the hope that one day it's going to be better. I can be thankful for the things that are the blessings that are in my life, and I can practice gratitude. But there's a reason I made this point three and not point one. Because if we jump too soon to this place, it can be a shallow response. It can be dismissive. And we all know that person that when we share our pain with them, they say, well, it could be worse. But when you acknowledge that pain, when you acknowledge things aren't going okay, and you feel the reality of it, then you can go to a place of deep hope that can only come from the reality of gratitude. The fourth practical step is to stay connected in your community. When we go through tough seasons, we can have this desire to pull away, to isolate, to say, I don't want to share this with my friends and family because I can do it on my own or I don't want to burden them. But the truth is that's not helpful, that we need the support of other people. Now, for me, this sense of belonging has always come from the church, that there has been a group of people that I can, whether it's a good day or a bad day, that I can authentically and vulnerably share how I'm going, and they will walk alongside of that with me. And I think that's so incredibly important. And lastly, and perhaps most practical, 
is to do what I call follow grandma's rules. And this just means to follow that advice that your grandma would give you, to take care of your physical body. Now, self-care is kind of this buzzword that we hear, and we think self-care means bubble baths and wine or drink with the boys. But what it actually means is taking care of yourself to literally take care of your physical body. That means making sure you're getting enough sleep, making sure that you are eating well, that you're not skipping meals or eating too much fast food, to make sure that you are getting some form of physical movement, even if it's just a 15-minute walk outside but that we have to take care of our physical bodies. Sometimes as Christians, we think that, oh, if I only take care of my spiritual life, if I pray, then everything's fine. But we are not disembodied people. We are spiritual and physical creatures. And so we have to take care of our physical body, which then helps us take care of our spiritual and emotional bodies. Now, I want to recognize that we are all in very different seasons today. Some are in hard places, some are in good places, places of growth. And yet, I think one thing we can all do today in response to this sermon is to pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God, that in the midst of all of these seasons in life, we can take a moment to focus on the good gifts and blessings he has given each and every one of us, even when our world feels turned upside down. So will you join me in saying this prayer of thanksgiving, and I'll close this in prayer after. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given, for life and health and safety, for work and rest and friendship, and for the wonder of creation. We thank you for preserving throughout history a people for yourself. Above all, we praise you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for your life-giving spirit, and the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And as I continue to pray, Heavenly Father, we know that you are sovereign and that you are good. You have given us a time and a purpose for every season under heaven. We thank you that no matter what season we are currently in, that we can praise you for who you are. Lord, we know that nothing catches you by surprise and that you ordain our steps. We thank you that you promise to be with us even in the midst of our worst days. Lord, as we sing to you now a song of praise, we remember that you are a man acquainted with sorrow and grief who has not left us alone, but we can rest in your finished work on the cross to bring us the hope we need in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our One Question for God series. If this talk has inspired more questions or a desire to find out more about Jesus, we'd love to invite you to try Alpha Online. Alpha Online is a place where you can come and explore Christianity's answers to life's biggest questions with a group of open-minded explorers. You can come just as you are and you can join from the comfort of your own living room. There's always a course starting soon, so jump on our website to find details. Thanks for listening.